You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna. And this is Inverse. All right, you ready now, buddy? Oh, man. Um, Dr. Plager. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's the thing. Uh, is <laughs> mine's, <laughs> mine's not going to be as pastoral or charismatic. No, we needed something um, new. It's going to be uh, it's going to be very academic. Um, and so, hopefully, but Andrew, we are always <laughs> impressed when you use words that I can't Uh-oh. spell. No, that, I'm going to try and I'm going to try and not use those words, but I, I probably still will. Before you start, yes. Because you're going to mention the transfiguration, mm-hmm. could you also include in that how that's our vision, that's our mm-hmm. eschatological vision, yeah. not the book of Revelation? Yeah. 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 So I'll get there. Yeah. And, and, uh, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure you would get there. <laughs> and if I forget, you can, you can remind me. Yeah. Um, so so I'm, I'm going to look at Luke 9. Mm-hmm. And so Luke 9 includes the, the, uh, the transfiguration in it. And so for me... Uh, the focus, kind of what this is all going to culminate to, is the importance of the inner transformation of a peacemaker. Mm. Um, where uh, a peacemaker, to be a peacemaker in that ontological sense, I used a big word, okay, so the, your, your essence. In your being? In your being, in your yeah, essence, yeah. the transformation of your very substance. Yes. Um, and and so for that um, for that to, to happen and... and and to actually, you know, be a reality in, in your life, this is this will be um, expressed as peacemaking intuitively based on what you're becoming, rather than uh, you know forcing yourself in a, a kind of a contrived way to love our enemies, uh, to be a peacemaker, to act nonviolently, and so on, um, just because we're forcing ourselves to do it. But it's not what we naturally, intuitively, or supernaturally mm. are doing. And so Luke 9, it kind of seems like an odd place to be, you know, discussing this aspect, but there's... Unless you're orthodox. It's only odd in the Western church. It's like Transfiguration Sunday, and (laughs) we're going to preach on the Old Testament. Exactly. And and unless you're, you know, immersed in the fathers as well. So, Mm. So the church fathers, they make all sorts of connections. And I love these connections. Uh, Brad kind of sees me as like a hermeneutical conspiracy theorist, but, <laughs> but I, I love He's these very connections. Good at those. So, so uh, well, the fathers are good at, at yeah. it. I'm, I'm kind of you know regurgitating it. Um, I put my own spin on it every once in a while. But this is this is how they think about these things, and and I just love it. Mm. So, in in Luke nine, there's a number of of uh, patterns, and so one of them is, uh, so the first one is Elijah. So Elijah appears four times, um, three times overtly, once uh, implicitly, although later manuscripts will include his name uh, with that incident, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, but first, very quickly, so you have Herod uh, Antipas is, is asking, you know, who is this Jesus? And some there's answers, and one of them is some say that he's Elijah. Mm. Um, and then you move on to when Jesus asks his disciples um, and asks Peter, who do people say that I am? And they have the same responses, including Elijah. So Elijah comes up again. But at that time, that's when Peter says, um, 
in response to that question, um, who do you think I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Mm. Um, and so within that declares his divinity. Um, and the response is, um, those of you who are standing here with me today um, will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God. And oftentimes we'll kind of look at that as this futurist kind of, you know, well, that doesn't make sense because they did die and and the whole eschatological timeline hasn't come to fruition and, and so on. So Jesus was an apocalyptic yes, prophet. Yes, exactly. Got but, his timeline but, wrong. But so he got it wrong. We shouldn't really and love so, our enemies, but exactly. being middle class and nice and yes. see you next Sunday. Yes, Type exactly. on the way out. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> but immediately after this, this is where I believe it says eight days later, um, they go up the mountain, traditionally Mount Tabor, and this is where the transfiguration of Christ um, happens. And of course, with him, he's flanked by Moses and Elijah. So Elijah appears again um, the, the third time. And within that context, the reaction of the disciples who are there, Peter, James, and, and John, um, is one of fear. Mm. So they recoil in fear. Even the iconography, they're like laying, yes. right? And, and they're, you know, they're very fearful and confused. They, they want to build... Uh, you know, tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacle for, you know, for Plus Jesus. And, and yeah, that's right. So, Church building yeah, project. So, so, so they're fearful and confused, confused out of fear. Um, so that's the third one. And then the fourth one is after the transfiguration, they're going through a village in Samaria and uh, the village doesn't embrace Christ and so the apostles want to, or asks Jesus to to send down Light them up. fire from heaven mm. to to destroy them. And of course, this is uh, reminiscent of Second Kings one, mm. where Elijah actually does he does the yeah. same thing to uh, you know military captain and fifty of his men three times, I believe. Um, he does this, and so and parallels in terms of calling down fire, even yes. though it was a. Uh, um, that happened and then the slaying is like okay yeah. so god showed up at our meeting how are yeah, we going to yeah, respond yeah. let's <laughs> kill our enemies yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah so so you have uh these these four allusions to elijah um but the last two um you know the first ones are you know in the context of who is christ and um or who is this jesus and then it, it, it's revealed that he is the christ and then it's shown on mount tabor in his transfiguration um, but within that context, then you you see another pattern emerging, and that's basically that the the disciples are kind of bumbling idiots. Like they they get things wrong over and over again, and so so out of this fear and this confusion, first again they want to build these tabernacles. Um, they also are arguing within that same chapter about who is the greatest of them. Um, Jesus constantly is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified. And they're like, I don't know what that means. And so they're very confused. And then they want to call down fire and Jesus condemns them. So Jesus is condemning um, these disciples who clearly within that chapter, they're being portrayed as as people who aren't really getting getting it. Hmm. Um, And so Jesus rebukes them for wanting to call down fire. And yet they're, they're just replicating what Elijah did, That's right. who they just saw on Mount Tabor during oh. the Transfiguration, and so, so the the difference though 
is that the apostles, the, the disciples, they recoiled in fear when they were confronted with the unapproachable light, um, with the, the divine radiance, whereas Moses and Elijah were able to stand with him on Mount mm. Tabor. They, they have that compatibility. And so there seems to be, and this connects to the, the um, understanding of apectasis that I said before, that infinite transfiguration to the extent that God is infinite, that Elijah... Um, is somebody who went through that transfiguration so that what he did before, Jesus rebukes. Mm. Um, God in flesh rebukes that. And now we see him compatible with the divine that Jesus is revealing after Peter just said, um, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And and so he's able to stand with Christ now. He's compatible with the divine. Mm. Um and and so it shows that violence, the the impulse of violence, comes out of uh, an untransfigured person. Yes, um, somebody who is fearful of God, someone who doesn't know who God is, mm. and is confused about everything that's going on. Mm. Um, that's the that's where the the impulse of violence comes from. The whole thing, uh, Luke. Luke 9, um, there's many connections also with, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to go, you know, step beyond and go to another chapter, but chapter 22 in Luke, 22, mm. 23, Gethsemane and mm-hmm. the crucifixion, even visually in the iconography, yes. you see the, the transfiguration where Christ is on a, a mountain, he's flanked by uh, Moses and Elijah on either side, and the same thing with the crucifixion, yes. that he's on the cross on Golgotha. And he's flanked by the two criminals on on their crosses. So visually, they they look the same. Um, You have the the disciples in the transfiguration recoiling in fear. Um, In the crucifixion, they've all fled. They're they're not even Mm -hmm. there. Um, Fleeing again after Jesus was describing what is going to happen, trying to explain it, but they're still confused. They still don't know. They're still fearful. Um, So you have things like that. Same thing, Gethsemane, you have Peter, James, and John, same people who were there, the same disciples at the Transfiguration. They're At the same time, they're both going there to pray. They're going to Gethsemane to pray. They're going to Mount Tabor to pray. They, all, the, the disciples fall asleep both times as well. Mm-hmm. Jesus wakes them up, one through the Transfiguration, the other one because they actually woke them up. Um, and so there's these connections there that you can see, but also in Luke 22, and Luke 9. In Luke 9, you have um, Jesus saying, um, don't take a, a, a bag with you, a cloak, yeah. all that kind of stuff, right? In Luke 22, he says, now you do. Mm. Take the cloak, take everything. Also, take a sword. Mm. So that's confusing. <laughs> so, so, he's, so again, a clear kind of connection between the two. Now, what happens in here, though, is that you have Jesus in Gethsemane, who is about to face his death, his crucifixion, and he knows this. Um, and and yet he wants to be obedient to the Father. And his obedience within this context, it's reversing the disobedience of Adam, mm. also in a garden, mm. Garden of Eden, Garden of Gethsemane. And... Within that obedience, that obedience is is an expression of nonviolence, of a of a uh, unwillingness to fight back. Yeah, and it's expressed later on, of course, when 
the soldiers come and they arrest him. And Peter uses that same sword that he picked up before to slice off the the ear of the servant of the of the high priest. And Jesus' reaction, of course, is tell him to stop and heals the ear. Yeah. Um, and and it's an obedience that's expressed even as um, you know saying that he he could send down twelve legions of angels mm. to fight, but he chooses not to. Um, when he talks to Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, then my servants would fight. My mm-hmm. servants would do the thing that Peter did, but I told yeah. him to stop, and I healed the, the ear. Um, and so this is, this is, again, an obedience that is reversing the, the disobedience in the Garden of Eden, where there is a tree um, that they took from wrongly, and Jesus, in his obedience, is being led to the tree where we can now take from that tree rightly without mm. being condemned mm-hmm. in the chalice yes. and in the Eucharist. And so the Eucharistic elements of the bread and the wine, the body and the blood um, are now given to us because of his crucifixion that he went to because he refused to be violent and fight back. Yeah. Um, but what's happening there is going back to my hermeneutic of the transfiguration and kenosis, right? It is the transfigured one that we saw on Mount Tabor Amen. Yeah. who is in Gethsemane in that canonic state of being a human who needs to be obedient to the Father, um, has the option of fighting back. But because of his transfiguration, because he is fully divine, um, he his his impulse his his natural supernatural proclivity um, is is to shun violence um, mm. based on his ontology based on on what he is in his essence in his very being um, and that is what we are called to be the the transfiguration yeah. Christ on Mount Tabor we are called to be that but also Moses and Elijah yeah. they're the ones who show us that transfiguration that continues on to that point. Rather than rejecting the violence mm-hmm. or the fear or the, um, do you see part of uh, the transfigure itself in terms of Jesus in Gethsemane as transfiguring that those very human things in mm-hmm. Himself? That part yes. of the the um, perfect surrender mm-hmm. of Christ is yeah. um, uh, that uncreated light. Yes. is allowed to take the fear that he feels and those responses which would be understandable but mm-hmm. would mirror the age that is passing away and actually because that's the difference between him yeah. just being another Moses or another Elijah sure. right like yeah. um uh but well, the, the healing the healing element of Gethsemane it's it's in the geography and again so these are the connections right where you have and, um, and tree, to spell it out again yeah. for those who are listening yes. at the start, that healing for the Orthodox mm-hmm. is a saving event. So we're talking yes. about the Transfiguration as a saving event. Yes, in it's the same salvation. Way that the this is what salvation is. So it's a healing, saving. It's the same word. Yep. Um, it is Christ who is salvation. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, while the cross, when viewed through the resurrection, mm-hmm. is the pinnacle of where we see that most clearly, mm-hmm. um, Simone Weil was being quoted earlier in terms of uh, the the ugliness of our rejection mm-hmm. of uh, light for mm-hmm. darkness is seen mm-hmm. on the cross, but also light in its fullness mm-hmm. in this 
transfiguring fire of nonviolence mm-hmm. that is Christ on the burning bush that mm-hmm. is the cross. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but say say more mm-hmm. about the the saving event of the transfiguration yeah. and Gethsemane. Gethsemane. So you you have that healing element even within how um, in Eden you have a tree, and then the cross is a tree on Golgotha. In the middle, um, you also have trees because it's the Mount of Olives, the mm-hmm. olive groves, and that was the olive the olives from the trees were used to make oil. And the, the Greek word for mercy is eleison, and that is where we get the word oil from. It's a mm. healing oil of mercy mm. um, within that, that whole context there. And so, again, these are the connections of tree, 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 um, gardens, mountains. It's all, you know, these, these connections there. But within what's happening there at Gethsemane, when he's being obedient, that, that kenosis, that self-emptying, um, it's actually revealing his divinity. The mm. humanity is revealing his divinity um, because this is what's unique about what God does in the Christian narrative, coming mm. down here with us, taking on the creator, taking on creation, his own creation, um, and being willing to contend with the same constraints of time and space that, that we do. Mm. And so his humanity reveals his divinity because it's revealing and is an expression of his humility, um, which is a divine virtue. It, its source, its origin is only God. Um, and so so that's that's how the transfiguration becomes kenosis in a sense it's it's expressed for us within the same context that that we're in this yeah. this uh this ascetic arena um that we have to contend with um and that's why even when when we look at creation as again those those constraints of time and space and and the the virtues that we have to develop within it of Humility and self-control and patience. Patience, patience only makes sense if there's a constraint of time. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so these, the, this is all again, God Himself, uh, divine love, decontextualized, being brought down into a context. Um, this and he, is he, he he surrenders the human will to heal the human will yes. in his, in his own hum, yeah. humanity. Yeah. And and so there's a christological element or mm. or a, you know framework there where God becomes a human being so that he can have access to death. He has access to death because he refuses to fight back. He mm. refuses uh, to be like the insurrectionist zealots who who yeah. are are expecting a militaristic messiah. Who, to who usher in an him earthly on the kingdom, cross, exactly. like Elijah, yes. yes, and Moses, yes. Yeah. and has, so so he he ha, he now has access to death because we can kill God, but when we kill God, uh, he descends uh, into hell, but hell cannot hold him down, hmm. and by the by the power of his divinity, he's able to conquer death. So, so divinity now is 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 brought down into the place of death, but death can't hold it, and so he tramples down death by his own death, and therein removes the barrier between us and the divine, um, so that we can partake of the divine nature, so that we can be transformed from one degree of glory to another, mm. as it says in Second Corinthians three eighteen, and and, and that is we, again, the whole 
remember that these are realities that are present in us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That, um, uh, as the psalmist says, where can I go from your presence? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I ascend to the heights. So I go to the depths. Christ mm-hmm. has gone to the depths mm-hmm. and he was there and mm-hmm. it couldn't hold them. Mm-hmm. And so the darkest, most hellish places mm-hmm. where um, those things that have died in us mm-hmm. walk around, that, that Christ has trampled down death mm-hmm. through his death being present there and then grabs those things that have died in us by the hand mm-hmm. in his resurrection and, and pulls them out mm-hmm. into life. Mm-hmm. This this suddenly is such a different vision mm-hmm. of Christian spirituality yep. that um uh that the and would you talk about the importance of the uncreated light mm-hmm. is what is seen at the transfiguration mm-hmm. um as opposed to it just being like Jesus was sparkly. Mm-hmm. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the uncreated light is is really. I, I'd have to back up a little bit when when we look at um, Saint Gregory of Nyssa and the way that he uh, categorizes. So we're looking like fourth century. This is fourth Turkey, century. Yeah. So he, he died about three ninety five, um, and so he um, he looks at uh, the created order. Um, and then the uncreated order, and he, he he divides it into the uncreated intelligible, the created intelligible, and the created sensible. The created sensible would be the physical kind of you know environment that we're in. The created intelligible would be the ideas and concepts and things like that. And then the uncreated intelligible is is where the triune Godhead alone resides. Mm. Nobody else, no, nothing else. And, um, and yeah. your reading would be he's engaging. Greek philosophical terms in a way to subvert them um, or even transfigure mm-hmm. them uh, rather than uh, appease or because um, people have different yeah. takes right like uh, yeah. I hear some people are like yeah. and the church fathers gave Christianity yes. over to the Greeks yes. and, but but you're no Fa- Father Andrew Louth um, he, he talks about this and says um, it's not so much that that Greek philosophy influenced patristic theology. It's just that everybody was in the same context asking these questions. Mm. So if the questions are being asked, there's there's a spectrum of answers that some of them seem right and you can use them, you can borrow them, but it's it's all it's it's just that everybody is a human being who has very Categories. similar ans- or similar questions mm-hmm. that they're struggling with mm. uh, within a particular context. And so, of course, there's going to be overlap in yeah. answers. That's just inevitable. But I messed um, with your three categories. So back to yes. your three categories. So the three yeah. categories. So, so what's happening at the Transfiguration is, is that it's the, it's the uncreated intelligible, the, un- the uncreated divine essence um, being brought into our context as divine en- energies or divine operations. Mm. Um, and, and so the, so one of, one of the, so light, light is everywhere in, in the Bible, New Testament. Mm. It, it's, it's, it's a, a, you know, a fascinating um, and, and radically to, other than love, the only thing that, out of a Jewish imagination, they mm-hmm. dare to call the unspeakable mystery of God in light of Christ, that mm-hmm. God is light. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So so what you have there then is um, 
uh, for example, um, uh, John three nineteen to twenty one. So we think of judgment, right? Judgment this is, is very juridical, and and yeah. you know. So he says, "This is judgment. Light, light, <laughs> light has come into the world, and we love darkness. Some some people <laughs> like light, some people don't. It's you know." Light is painful it's to polarizing. some. polarizing. Yeah, yeah, light is painful to some, and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so so that's that gives us one kind of characteristic of light. Um, we have the unapproachable light of Christ again on the road to Damascus, right? Where Paul, mm. when he recounts that that uh, uh, episode um, later on, near the end of Acts, I think twenty six, um, Jesus says. Um, why do you why do you kick against the spikes and so there's there's this illuminating aspect of of you creating your own hell yeah. in a sense um and, and who that's actually what the persecution is exactly yes, so you're persecuting so you me. are you uh, and you're, it's god yes yeah. <laughs> you're on the wrong side <laughs> and and you are you are hating and killing your enemies hmm. and within that you're you're bloodying up your shin, your foot. You're kicking against the spikes. It's it's backfiring on you. You're creating mm-hmm. your own hell. Um, and so, in that sense, the divine light can be an experience of hell. Mm. Um, and so, which I mean, surprisingly, <laughs> this is one of the things that I talked about this morning. Mm. So I, I showed um, Viranets, which. Uh, Stephen the Great in 1488 mm. built is, and mm-hmm. it's the Sistine Chapel of the East and it's depiction of Christ enthroned and the river of fire mm. that flows and yeah. the iconography is actually on the outside of the um, of the chapel it's mm. it's gorgeous but um, this is the orthodox understanding mm. of hell mm. that um, nothing can change our <laughs> nothing we can do can change the character yes. of God from being light or from being loved the as revealed to us in Christ of, of God, Jesus. Right? That, that, yeah, this is what doesn't change. Yes. God is love. Yeah. And so when we receive the fire of God's love, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's transfiguring. Mm-hmm. It, it will transform us into um, who we are created mm-hmm. to be, that theosis or yep. divinization. And or, so this, this is exactly what's happening, though, in Luke 9. Huh. So you have the transfiguration, and so that's the unapproachable light that the apostles recoil in, in fear. They're confused. They actually have to be hidden by a cloud because it's so over overwhelming. And Moses and Elijah are able to stand with yeah. Christ on Mount Tabor. They're they're compatible with the divine uh, the divine essence. Um, but then, of course, you have the fire that destroys, or that the the disciples want to destroy the village. Where's that fire from? It's from heaven, right? Mm. Call down fire from heaven. Um, so we we have this understanding of light, of you know, incandescent, fluorescent light bulbs, and all this kind of stuff. Light is is either the the sun, or it's fire, um, and so, so that's <laughs> yeah. that's what they think of, right? And so it's it's illuminating, or it's purifying, um, or it's destructive, mm. and so so you have you have this kind of understanding of of the same it's it's the the multifarious kind of uh features characteristics of the same light the same fire mm. that it can do all of this at the same time depending on on your orientation depending on, on exactly right. depending on on what it comes in contact with yeah so in um, terms of like first corinthians 15 and the the vision mm-hmm. of um 
the end, mm-hmm. which is what eschatology means, yeah. that mm-hmm. not that end times, but God has an end in mind, that yeah. the end is God will be all in all, mm-hmm. that the love we see in Jesus will flood mm-hmm. the earth like the waters cover the seas. Mm-hmm. And eternity, an eternity of love for those who reject love mm-hmm. must be hell. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean that in both senses of like that it must feel like mm-hmm. um, that that's to stand on the other side mm-hmm. of and in terms of the uh, Veronutz and the the picture of the fire that flows mm-hmm. from on one side of those who experience the fire as transforming, mm-hmm. transfiguring mm-hmm. love, yeah. and uh, those that reject it, it's C.S. Lewis's "The Gates of Hell Are Locked from the Inside," mm-hmm. and um, uh, B.Z.'s beautiful way of the the wrath of God is the love of God wrongly received. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This is, I mean. And this is he'll tell in, you in, he nicked that yeah. from the orthodox yeah. <laughs> and and Luke nine you have basically calling down fire from heaven is saying do the transfiguration again like it, but it's going to destroy these these people because they're not like Moses and Elijah they're not they're they're not able to wow. receive it in in that way they're going to be destroyed wow. if they come in contact with that and that's why I wonder when I look at the Old Testament if in that kind of economic pastoral um, incremental self-revelation hmm. calling down fire is not incremental and because it's not incremental <laughs> so we it want will to destroy like, them right Hence we want to go, intervention yes, right exactly so it will destroy them instead hmm. of this slow gradual self-revelation and encounter with god hmm. um, that's being pastoral that's acting in wisdom um, and otherwise you will be destroyed if you're not prepared um to encounter the divine essence uh the the or or energies the uncreated Mm. light um so while i've got two orthodox theologians excuse my (laughs) crude ways but really you're saying that like in terms of checking in on social media that eternity everybody checks into the same place Mm -hmm. but the love that god is is new creation heaven on earth for some mm-hmm. and his experience as hell for others mm-hmm. but it's the same and it reality. begins here though too yes. it's not even it's not um like the already not yet part of it is yeah. it, it includes the already so already is is not just kingdom of god but it's also an experience of hell um you know so julian of Nor- norwich it's heaven all the way to heaven and hell all the way to hell I can't remember. Which I don't show. know. Yeah. Now I will say that there's an in-house there's an in-house debate within Orthodoxy about those who experience the love in in a hellish way, are they forever consigned to that experience, hmm. or could that, or is the light which is the glory of the love of Jesus Christ efficient and effective to burn not them but all of the things that. Uh, the, uh, the wood, hay, that and stay, stubble stand that in stand the in the way. Yeah. And I'm, I am I would be very hopeful of the latter. That I'm very hopeful. Mm. That the, the light of the glory of Jesus Christ would be efficient and effective on those who hate love. That, mm. that because his loving kindness is everlasting, perhaps the hardness of their heart will not be. Mm. And I... I don't see a theological or or philosophical reason why they must be locked in to the response that they had at the final judgment. Mm. And this is, in fact, 
Maximus the Confessor talks this way. He says, at the final judgment, it would be unjust for God to condemn you for rejecting him with a broken will. But hmm. because Christ has healed the human will in himself in Gethsemane, then it will make sense that at the final judgment, they will see him as he is with the potential of a healed will that can turn to him. And he's not formally a universalist in that he doesn't say he doesn't say they automatically will turn to him, but but they need to turn to him, and they can turn to him, mm. and so of, won't they? And so surprisingly, the Orthodox share something in common with Calvinists: irresistible grace. <laughs> well, that, and they they would say no to that; that it's not irresistible, but it will be natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in the sense of your your will was created to naturally turn to the good, and when yeah. that nature is restored through healing. Mm-hmm. then it's um, always trying to um keep intact the element of free will and that sort mm-hmm. of thing so that's why as opposed to calvinism yeah, that's so, the so key met- difference yeah so yeah. Met- metropolitan callistus oh, where teasing, God. <laughs> don't make me come down there <laughs> so metropolitan callistus where you, you need to love the internal <laughs> calvinist <laughs> oh he's in there yeah. <laughs> um no but callistus where he he says um that uh it's it, it would be you know heresy to say that all must be saved because that um that infringes on free will but it's not to it's not heresy to say that all might be all may be saved but i would say um that that then it would also be heresy to say that all must or, or, or some that even must one be da- damned must be yeah. for eternity because yeah. that also infringes on free will hmm. um hmm. and so um, that's that's typically it's, but it's guys why balance. why share the gospel then just so we can all experience like <laughs> healing and live as like peacemakers yeah, and see because Jesus and our world is the best yeah yeah, yeah. Jesus like, is so the best that, thing that's ever happened to me and people are already like in torment and if they could know his love and goodness that's now, a big thing though with it's, with it's going thing, going back it? to the way that God was portrayed for me mm-hmm. um, is again you know being saved from god right so yeah. so you still have that in or out kind of dynamic of you know your 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 salvation is that you're being saved from hell so it's you're being saved mm. from a negative thing whereas the more the medical Orthodox. kind of transformational paradigm you're being saved to something you're you're being transformed um, you could almost say, I don't know, from glory to glory. From yeah, glory, yeah, yeah. From glory <laughs> you already glory. were glorious, yes. but <laughs> yes. But the the little lower than the angels kind of talk that um, uh, that crown with glory, that human dignity, and and that kind of vision of um, that the doctrine of the fall um, or ancient sin as as opposed to original sin was never meant to be a casting of everything is horrible Mm -hmm. Um, but in light of the resurrected one how do we view that which is not in keeping with the beauty of what we see in him and that's a very very different way of putting together a theology where you need a problem Mm -hmm. and Jesus has to be the answer instead of an encounter with this that questions everything and like Jesus is the question for mm. everything after mm. you've seen that kind of non-violent transfiguring mm. beauty of 
love incarnate. And and the doctrine of original sin, even like you know, ours is ancestral sin. It's a little mm. bit different, more quite a bit different, yeah. quite a bit different, but focusing more on you know distortion, distortion within us, but also our you know our whole context that also has an influence on us. And but what it, it's it's also kind of connected back to again Genesis three, where. Many of the fathers, um, St. Irenaeus of Lyon does this when he talks about um, uh, Adam and Eve as infants, um, mm-hmm. where their disobedience is inevitable because they're immature. and They're not perfect. They're not perfect. Yeah. And so, so that, it's, it's by virtue of the context of a created order and the constraints that that inevitably, you know, places on us that you will have diversity of behavior Hmm. you won't you won't be completely monolithically perfect Hmm. um, because we're we're constrained by the created order that is of god's design but that created order is also there for our salvation this is the sacramentality of the entire world yes where where we um uh you know going from point a to point b requires patience for me to not rant and rave about how I need to go downstairs and got to get in my car and I've got to drive back to you know my house and all that so I'm not I'm not just ranting and raving about this the whole time there's at least a a modicum of patience that has been cultivated in me Mm. but that is salvation the the cultivation cultivation of the divine virtues and that comes about through our encounter with the physical created world around us mm. um, and how we must adapt to including it. our enemies especially yes, our especially enemies. our enemies <laughs> um, that's this isn't a very good segue but <laughs> this is why our our marriages are our salvation right mm-hmm. is is because you have that <laughs> i know did, did my you enemy call your wife <laughs> exactly okay. so, no one's so, no, my beloved enemy i yeah. said it wasn't a good segue <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but this is why is is because within that relationship you you adapt uh within that context right to mm. you adapt in humility and patience and so on mm. um as as is community yeah yes. a, a, as is um a groundedness yeah. in a particular yeah. place is yeah. as is as is as is everything but that's kind of yeah. like the pressure cooker you know yes uh relationship situation mm. um but that that is what what everything our encounter with the entire created order is like um it's meant to if we're attentive and this is kind of the more orthodox hesychastic yeah neptic tradition so hesychasm and break down both those hesychasm words. would be the stillness the quietude that it, this is the condition required for nepsis and nepsis would be watchfulness and attentiveness so if we're watchful and attentive if we're we're able to you know say the jesus prayer in a situation where i'm stuck in traffic mm. or whatever and it's calming me it's 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 creating this stillness so i can be attentive to how am i reacting in mm. this situation i'm being angry i'm being hostile yes um and so within that i'm i'm kind of doing a self monitoring of my own spiritual state yeah but this is asceticism right this is so the ascetic practice of fasting for example mm. is practice for real life where i need and, to be attentive you, to the ingredients right i need definition to be a, for asceticism 
Asceticism would be a, a, a self-denial. Um, or within, disciplining? Yeah, within, within the, the context of... There's something physical about it. It's, yeah. it's, it's less kind of contemplative. Um, you know, there's an element of that, but it's more the, the physical... Um, training. Self, self, yeah, training. Mm-hmm. But it's a self-denial to cultivate the divine virtues. So fasting is practice for real life because you're attentive to the ingredients that we have to avoid meat and dairy and oil mm-hmm. and alcohol. So you're attentive when you're, you know, making your menu and you're cooking and what so and you're being part attentive. Of the orthodox and that's um, all self rhythm is yeah. also feasting, which I don't think yes. people exactly. realize that yeah. like, um, yeah. the orthodox have more feasts than like you guys oh, are yeah. always partying. I yeah. even gain weight during the fast, yes. which I'm told, what you need to do is eat more beans. Yeah. So yeah, even that's exactly, <laughs> I know it, it, I'm it, totally it, serious there, yeah, even no, though it's, it's funny. Yes, it's <laughs> but that, that's, that's the, um, you know, that's, that's cultivating self-control yeah. fasting, right? It's, so you become cultivating divine virtues of... so that in other contexts, you have self-control, you have you've done your push-ups, you've, yeah. you've done your yeah. exercise for real life. Mm. Um, well, and so. in terms of, um, disciplines for arrestable actions and all the rest. Mm-hmm. If if you're able to cultivate that away, it's a lot easier to love the police mm-hmm. officer who's arresting you if mm-hmm. you've practiced it right with yeah. um, the person who. But is... this is the inner transformation of a peacemaker, right? Yeah. This is the ontology of a peacemaker that yeah. I think is incredibly important. That's it's totally. it's it, it's what we need to focus on more. It's been neglected. And and we get all sorts of questions like, what would you do if somebody broke into your house? And all these what-if type of questions that are only focusing on strategy and tactics and and forcing yourself in a contrived way to act like a certain ideal. Yeah. And that's what you're putting your effort into when really our effort should be put into the ascetic disciplines that cultivate the divine virtues yeah. and that engender that transfiguration so that we become peacemakers and act like peacemakers non-violently, intuitively, based on the extent to which we've been transfigured. Mm. Um, I have so many questions, but I know I've bugged you for so long. But one of the things in talking about the uncreated light, just to throw another thing in, <laughs> is, um, is what really did my head in with orthodox theology is that grace is a power, mm-hmm. and that the uncreated light is actually it's the energies of God. Mm-hmm. It's, it's grace God. is it's, God. Yeah, grace is God. God. So yep. um, grace isn't merely pardon, it's empowerment. Mm-hmm. So that the, um, the the vision of the Holy Trinity uh, is what we're by grace included into. And that grace is so with, with the text uh, like baptizing them in the name of the Father, mm-hmm. the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching mm-hmm. them everything to our, um, that I taught you to obey mm-hmm. that they're connected yeah that the the life of the trinity our identity in being immersed in the trinity um is why we can learn obedience to love mm-hmm. um so this um creative life-giving non-violent force mm-hmm. is able to be um would you talk a, a little bit about how the uncreated light is actually um because then there's all the like 
crazy stories about saints that like glow and stuff, yes. right? Yeah, like Sa- uh, that stuff's cool. Like, uh, like, <laughs> like Saint Simeon. Eat your heart out, evangelicals. <laughs> yeah. You don't have glowing people. <laughs> or the, go- yeah. the glory of the charismatics. Well, yeah, show you right. glory already. Um, like Saint Simeon, the new theologian. Yeah, um, you know, and, who, who and is such so, a penty? Yeah. My goodness, he's like the original Pentecostal. Yeah. 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 He, he's totally into like second baptism. Yeah. Like he's. <laughs> Yeah, no. This is the expression of of, uh, of the transfiguration, the divine radiance. That um, if we are transfigured to the extent that we do, um, we radiate. Even in the in the, the 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 passage on the transfiguration, it talks about Moses and Elijah emanating that glory mm-hmm. as well. Um, it's not just Jesus, mm-hmm. um, and so um, it, it's ultimately it's it's mysterious and that's a very orthodox way to explain <laughs> something that we just don't know about but but that's that's our appropriate uh, yeah. but that's our our way of avoiding this scholastic kind of and dissection saying too much. of of yeah, yeah exactly yeah. um and and so you know what is the uncreated light and what role does it play and so we can really only say so much mm. uh, about it um but uh, it's it's really like you talking about the the trinitarian economy um and and how that's connected to obeying the commandments of Christ the our theosis our transfiguration is it the the whole purpose of it is to allow us to be incorporated into the triune godhead to be incorporated into that oscillating mm. mutual love of the three persons of the, of the trinity um, where we are partake, partaking of the same stuff uh, as the Prince of Peace. What mm. the Prince of Peace is, is made out of, that's what we're becoming um, mm. so that we can be compatible with them and stand with them on Mount Tabor uh, during the Transfiguration. Um, and and avoid Gehenna, which is where the, the insurrectionist zealots ended up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, during <laughs> the destruction of Jerusalem, um, and uh, and so that's that's the the contrast with what Christ was doing again in Gethsemane and his mm. obedience and his refusal to fight back, where he was avoiding Gehenna in that sense. So this is what Brad was asking about, as opposed to the vision of the New Jerusalem mm. descending. Mm-hmm. That that's not where, and you know, positive readings of, mm-hmm. of that, as opposed to the you know, twentieth century mm-hmm. left below mm-hmm. Homer yes. Simpson version. <laughs> yes. um, uh, it's the transfiguration, which is the picture of the final consummation for the Orthodox. That is like, here's a taste of things to come. Yeah. Like, um, and the transfiguration then of the cosmos. Yes. It's everything. It's not yeah. just human beings. It's a transfiguration of, of the entire cosmos. And um, is, is this why the Orthodox are so embracing of the sciences? And you ask Orthodox leaders and the world is 13.5 billion years old and yeah. they don't have a problem with it. And like in terms of... Yeah. Um, climate and justice, and, yeah, yeah, and um, uh, like in terms of the fantastic things that they're doing. Like, mm-hmm. I met really conservative Orthodox mm-hmm. people who mm-hmm. were like, "It's crazy what's happening with climate justice. Mm-hmm. We must act now." And mm-hmm. I'm like, "That's amazing." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's all connected with that. It's it's because the theology is so robust comprehensive it's about the restoration of all things acts three you know because how we think it's going to end will ultimately decide what we do in between yeah we become agents of that whatever vision we have yeah and you can yeah it's guaranteed wow yeah 
I love you guys. This has been <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Uh, like, um, uh, just thank you both for your work and your witness. Um, uh, we've got lots more time to spend together. Yes. <laughs> and um, uh, Brad, in particular, Andrew and I are just getting to know each yeah. other. But um, over such a rough period, you've been so significant mm. for me. And mm. as I can't tell the story of my last two years without talking about mm. little interventions of our chats and mm. um, uh, your your prayerful pastoring of me from afar I'm deeply appreciative of. So thank you both for who you are and the people of prayer you are and um, the work that you're doing. Um, I love you both for it. Thank you. Thanks I have one request for your listeners. <laughs> sure. um, you can... You can change, if you have an iPhone, you can change the voice to a male Australian. (laughs) I did this, and then every time Siri's voice came on, I prayed for Jared. And and I want you to consider doing that for one year with me. Oh, that that is beautiful. (laughs) What a way to end. Well, maybe bonus material, but I'll I'll leave recording and then decide whether we're going to include. So I got to hang out with Ricky Raw. Um, I hadn't seen him for over a decade. Mm. And um, his new book, who is wonderful, right? Like, and, and such a gift to the church. And um, uh, But isn't Orthodox enough for me? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, big O Orthodox mm-hmm. um, with some of the stuff he was... So he's talking about his new book and um, uh, it sounds like a, a rejigging of Matthew Fox's Coming of the Cosmic Christ, which mm-hmm. I read when I was 15 because it had awesome pictures like mm-hmm. the icons Robert Lent mm-hmm. icon on the front was just yeah. amazing and being a dyslexic kid he started all these chapters with just all these quotes and oh. I was like this is awesome yeah, so yeah. I, I read that and um, uh, uh, original blessing uh, it's a strange mix of other stuff that was going on for, for me and influence mm-hmm. as a teenager but it sounds like Richard in his new book is going to draw a really strong distinction between um, the historical Jesus, which I think the three of us would insist is the risen Jesus, Mm -hmm. um, and the cosmic Christ. And um, uh, things like this um, 13.5 million years of the cosmic Christ and only 33 years of the historical Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, Mm. uh, And my time with uh, black and womanist liberation theology just makes me go mm-hmm. ah! yeah. like um, uh, Jacqueline Grant's early book The, the White Woman's mm-hmm. Christ and the Black Woman's Jesus mm-hmm. and uh, uh, that black women identify with the Jesus of the Gospels yeah. not a Christ principle yeah. found mm. um, elsewhere or even in the lead up to Nazi Germany that these mm-hmm. are the moves that were kind of made by the liberal German theologians yeah. uh, that made an Aryan Christ possible mm-hmm. and the throwing away of a um, Jewish Jesus. Jewish Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I hadn't seen that connection. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's and it's blatant when you get into the. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, Richard is such a gift to the church. Is so mm-hmm. widely read and is such a, a bridge in for so many people who have have had experiences like you've had that other people have gone, there is no way to redeem this stuff. I'm a healthier human being Mm -hmm. outside the church than I am in. Mm -hmm. 
what would kind of be an orthodox response to um, uh, this project? Like yes. this, yeah. I've been I've thought about it a lot because I I really love Father Richard. Me too. And he, you notice when you meet him how he exudes love. Yes. You know, here's a. He is truly a man of prayer. He's and and yeah, you just oozes the hospitality of Christ. So, um, um, so uh, one is he he says that this book on on. Uh, What's it on? What's he calling it? Um, but about Christ, yeah, he, he he says that that it's it's heterodox. So that's his take on it. And my instinct is to push back and say maybe it's more orthodox than you think. Hmm. However, here's the bottom line: is that he is making a move to, towards distinguishing Jesus of Nazareth in his humanity and the Christ of faith after the ascension hit mm. and that the apostle John is making the exact opposite move, especially both in the gospel, but especially in first John insisting that they are, that they are one and the same, that, yeah. that Jesus is the Christ. These things, you know, are written that you would believe Jesus is the Christ yeah. and that believing you have life in his name. But I'm looking into father Richard's, good motives on this and mm. I see an orthodox response that actually is in sync at some level mm. in this way what Father Richard wants us to know is, is that um, that Christ well he's in a sense he's doing a theology from above that mm. Christ is the God who pervades the universe yes in him we live and move and have our being mm. that this is this is uh, He's everywhere present and eternal and all of that. So if you start from there and then you say, and, and this word, this Christ, this spirit did become flesh and dwelt among us for a time. Mm. Um, and, and in so doing, you know, I just was reading this this morning from him that in so doing, he, he says, uh, that it, that, that he unites, uh, all that God is with all that creation is mm. in, in this person. Mm. I don't see the need then to have sort to move on from Jesus of Nazareth because he is that Christ, yeah. you know, and it can feel like that when I'm reading father Richard. But if I want to, if I want to do what father Richard's doing, then I go to the Orthodox prayers about the Holy spirit. Yes. I pray this every day. O heavenly King, O comforter spirit of truth, who is in all places and fills all things, mm. come dwell with us. O treasury of good gifts mm -hmm. and giver of life, come dwell with us. Uh, cleanse us of every stain and save our souls, O good one. Mm. And then it goes on to uh, from there. But this, this idea that the Holy Spirit, the uncreated light, the energies of God, they are in all places and fill all things. So mm. Callistus Ware would say, unapologetically that Eastern Orthodox Christians are penentheists. Yeah. That is God is not all things, but he is in all in things all and things. fills all things. Yeah. And, and that, that, that so is Christ. Yes. But, but any move to distinguish that from his humanity, it just feels like a bad idea to me for the reasons you said, but also because the, the model of the apostle John is to do the very opposite. Yeah. It's an identification 
I yeah. do that. And um, so when I, whenever I read things in, I, I'm watching Father Richard's writings in terms of, um, like, is this Gnosticism? And it's like it's not. He keeps emphasizing no, I, that the point of Jesus Nazar of Nazareth is to dignify humanity yeah. and to to sanctify like the uh, creation. And so that's not what he's doing. So I'm always I'm wondering like what's he doing? Part of it is to say that um, I, I, he's hooking it into the perennial tradition too, and that is mm. that Christ, that the same Spirit of Christ that has revealed Himself through Jesus has also come to others, right? So it's like it can it can be a it can be a move towards pluralism, I think, as well, mm. and and. And I don't think he'd be embarrassed to say that, but I hmm. think he does say say something that you know he's saying something unique about Jesus of Nazareth. Hmm. So I want to ask him more questions about. Yeah, yeah, me too. I don't, I don't know enough about his theology and all that, but you, I know you've um, uh, spoken or written a little bit on uh, Father John Bear, mm-hmm. and so I don't know if that would uh, when he talks about the word. Yeah. Before, like... Yeah, so Father John Bear would say... um, And I don't know him. Is he Orthodox? He's incredibly... uh, He's probably our best Orthodox theologian in North America. He's the dean of St. Vladimir's Seminary. Yeah, right. He is, I think, leaving that position. I think he's going to Britain. Well, that's not okay with me. But anyway, (laughs) so so what he would... Where he would push back on this is really a mind-blower that's so wonderful. But Mm. he would... he would say that in our in our liturgies it is it is through the Lord Jesus Christ that God created the yes. universe. Yeah. The Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that he says to speak of the pre incarnate word is a mythology. Because hmm. how 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 long before the incarnation are we talking? A a, a year? Five thousand years? Five million years? And so what he says is no, this is a, this is a fantasy. The way it works is that Christ, that that in his humanity, Christ is born in time, and in his deity, he's begotten in eternity, and that's not temporal. There's not a before and after. And so, wow. what ends up happening is that the incarnate Christ is the image of God who was the prototype by which we are created. I'm created in the image of God. Who's the image of God? The Lord Jesus Christ. So you're completely shattering temporal time with this. And now... So the incarnation is like a little shutter that opens up to the life where we actually... Or you could say it is the axis mundi of the cosmos. That is, instead of thinking of a timeline where there's before Jesus, when it's just pre-incarnate flesh... Or pre-incarnate word, not in flesh yet. That's yep. the whole time, t- time. Instead, now what we see is that that, that the incarnation and the cross itself stands at the stands at the center of uh, of all things that revolve around it. Now, mm. it's it's an absolute mind blower. But in other words, we know nothing of of the Trinitarian God and the and, and the divine Word, other than other than yeah. through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, 
that to me is a grander vision than what yeah. Father Richard's attempting. And, and, and but and you touched on that, like the panentheism, yeah. where God is everywhere present, filling all things. There's still the the creation that the Creator will take on is still there. Like it's not. It, it's in fact, if He's divine love. Mm-hmm. Divine love must incarnate. Mm-hmm. That yeah. the incarnation is inherent in Trinitarian love. Yes, it, and this is full-on Platonism. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't. I'm not embarrassed of that. That what Aristotle said about Plato was this: that he was not a dualist. Mm-hmm. That for Plato, forms must form, mm-hmm. or they're not forms. Mm-hmm. Ideas must become particulars, mm-hmm. or they're not. Or the idea hasn't reached its telos. Mm. Now to use that platonic category to say the divine must become human mm. or it's not divine. Mm. And this is and then the, the, the human must be divinized or it's not human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, incredible. So, <laughs> so yeah. The, yeah. to me this is so the book on this, it's a short book, it'll mess with your head for the rest of your life. The mystery of Christ by John Bear, B E H R. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He'll me- and he and he's the expert on Athanasius. He wow. the last translation of him with its intro is by him, and he. I'll send you links to yeah. his stuff. And I think I think there's there's a sense though that um, I'd have to be careful with how I say this, but the the um, divine love that decontextualized divine love mm-hmm. finds its fulfillment and is is actually in a sense better. I don't mm-hmm. want to say that, but it's it's in a sense better if it is compassion, mercy, um, forgiveness. Mm-hmm. But that can only happen if there's a created order yeah. that has the, the constraints that we need to contend with that allows for the diversity that God has to enter into. Yeah. In and he way. enters into it from eternity above yeah. into time, not from some like... From 16 billion years ago, what was God doing when there was, you know, 16? This is why the incarnation is always part of the plan. This is why you have, you have Saint Irenaeus. um, The incarnation, could you say, is always part of the Godhead? Yeah, yeah, it's in Trinitarian love. Yeah, like, like when, when uh, this is why I would like, um, if we always have these, uh, these theology, like our, our, our discussion about. Um, evolutionary biology versus mm. creationism and all that kind of stuff. The the conversation is more about which one is true kind of thing, right? <laughs> but what if we had a theology that took evolutionary biology for granted and that the universe is whatever it is, billion years, 14 billion years old. Mm. And and so so when you look at it that way, and it's God's creation, and it's it has the same time, like constraints of time and space and everything else, that we all contend with there's that element of you know survival to get to where we are right Mm. so so we survive to get to this point Mm -hmm. but our survival is also something that we need to eradicate when it becomes you know we need to uh, you know exert violence on somebody else for our survival Mm. um and and so that like survival of the fittest kind of you know mentality. Where, well, to have a higher vision. So so mm-hmm. then there's so so sure that's good like that it does something it 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 gets us to a certain point. But then God, after billions of years, mm. you know, 
breaks into time and space and speaks with encounters human beings to incrementally reveal himself um, and to tweak the things that are our survival mechanisms the village for an eye becomes an eye for an eye mm. um, becomes you have heard it said an eye for an eye but I say love your enemies um, and act like me when I don't fight back mm. um, mm. Uh, when I willingly go to the cross mm. that, that or, completely or I would, undermines the yeah. whole evolutionary kind of yeah. impulse. You know, mm. impulse. And I would actually say um, pushing it back against mm -hmm. what you were just saying and my friend James Allison as mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. that actually it's we must fight like Jesus mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. not fight sure. like Jesus that yeah. um, uh, we have to re-inhabit um, uh, the early church has no problem with violent imagery mm -hmm. to cast the vision of God's transfiguring nonviolence, mm -hmm. and um, uh, the yeah. weapons of our warfare yes. are mighty. Exactly, yeah. exactly. they're yeah, not yeah, like yeah. the weapons yeah. of this world yeah. that are impotent because yeah. they can't preserve oh, from life. From the mouth of our Lord, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Mm -hmm. So, what's this sword that heals and harms no one? Mm -hmm. uh, what, what's mm. like, and that's what we've got to be able to. Um, the problem is we don't know, we can't see it ironically. Like you know what I mean? We well, yeah, we get hooked into Jesus the metaphor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. He's like, but, no, I I don't mean like an actual yeah. king. But, but like, if Gandhi started talking like that, like um, like about swords and everything, everybody was like, whoa, Gandhi's nonviolence is really militant. We look at Jesus' life and he used violent imagery and people are like, oh, well, he's not non-violent. And you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> I know. It's, it's so <laughs> obvious. <laughs> um, but the, the, there is an aggressiveness. Mm -hmm. um, Martin Luther King used this love for that. Um, uh, though we crucified uh, him on Good Friday, Sunday God responded with aggressive love. Mm -hmm. there, there is a... Um, the cross is not powerlessness, um, or maybe that's where, like, we need. Nonviolence is actually an apathetic spirituality, and so what we're what we're actually talking about are two different things, and we need to say it two different ways at the same time, so we actually respond to it in humility. Yeah. The cross is powerlessness, and that is real power. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Jim Lawson, who's been one of my mentors and biggest influences, and was. Martin Luther King called him the greatest tactician and strategist um, for, of nonviolence in the world. Mm. Um, he said, nonviolence is power. It is the greatest power available to us in the universe. Mm. And that's how we've got to... Um, the, the black church on this continent did not arrive um, at nonviolent methods through Tolstoy and Thoreau. Mm -hmm. And um, James Cone, Jim Lawson and... Vincent Harding have all told me that, that it is through um, reading the Gospels, um, singing African-American spirituals, the context of the black church, and yet the fight for dignity, and that th this is the power that they had. Mm. And uh, the, the reasons why these conversations interest me so much mm. is that though it's coming at it from... So for orthodoxy, um, it, it's a considered... Um, uh, out of prayer um, uh, with the tradition and arriving, arriving at the same thing that uh, persecuted people and liberation um, theologies that um, do renounce uh, 
a violent Marxist mm -hmm. uh, eschatology of, you know, ultimately communism, um, actually do arrive at this power. And I think with, like, we're we're coming at the same. So I, I think it's fascinating. It could work. I mean, the Orthodox will also need to renounce their Achilles heels in nationalism. Yeah. And and, and from, let's say, untransfigured priests mm -hmm. blessing fighter jets. Yeah. Which, I mean, technically, when you look at, um, it's the only part of the church that has an actual, names the sin, I can't remember what it's called, of nationalism, like mm. it as a, a, mainly because it had to. Like, well, I, I, I mean, it really is. It, it's a, it's a, philitism, or is it? Is that it? I, it I, might I, be. Yeah. But it, it, it's a, it's a. It's a weak point, but so we really look to guys like Jim Forrest, who's the head yeah. of the Orthodox Peace Fellowship, yeah. as, as as leading the way, yeah. and, and saying, "No, this this is the ancient Orthodox tradition that yes. gets co-opted by fairly modernist nationalism." Yeah, and I mean, a really important conversation for Orthodoxy to have is like in terms of the Oriental Orthodox Church mm -hmm. and. Um, a, a different philosophical worldview that they killed over. Yeah. Like talking about the same thing using different language and how the um, Coptic, mm -hmm. um, Egyptian, well, it's the, the Coptic, but who are Ethiopian, Syriac, Syriac, um, and the, the history there, um, the, the place of how the spirituality was almost like in the same way that in the West monasticism preserved um, discipleship to use Bonhoeffer's terms. Mm -hmm. It's been preserved in orthodoxy as well while blessing empires. And I think that's some of our work, right? Yeah. I think that's some of the... No, but this this uh, emphasis on the, on the transfiguration of a peacemaker, yeah. that's, that's what's really helped me navigate the orthodox terrain around the issue of peace yeah and um and even the focus on myself and my own sins mm. and um the violent impulses in myself yeah that it's it's easy to look at the other orthodox who mm -hmm. are blessing fighter jets and things like that but that it's an easy in one me. it's yeah, still yeah. It's, it's in me too yeah um and and i need to focus on myself in that in that regard but I look at I look at it almost as um, as that violent impulse is one of the most difficult ones to let go of mm -hmm. um, it's our very survival like mm -hmm. it's you know and and so it begins to it, it consoles me in a little bit in, a, in some way because it makes me um, you know come to terms with the reality that in many respects it's it's inevitable mm. within the mm -hmm. diversity of the created order yeah. that this, that this it's is right there in happen, my brain right? stem yeah, yeah. You know, like the lizard brain exactly. yeah and, this is the so, ancient sin and that's why you have that beatific mm. ladder right yeah what's the last one you have peacemaker and also being you know willing to be persecuted yeah but immediately before that you you need the requirement of purity of heart mm. purity of heart to see god transfiguration mm. um and then you become a peacemaker you become a, a child of god and and so um i, tr I translate 
that beatitude is transparency of heart. Mm. Mm. And in part, it's just being in a context similar to where you've pastored, um, where you're with people where purity of heart is. It's never never going to be an option. Mm -hmm. Like, people have experienced and... um, uh, both on the receiving end and giving end of like such, but a spirituality of transparency where confession um, becomes purity. Mm. That's a much. That's a, it's a different game. It's a game of actually owning um, and including rather than disowning and excluding, mm. and it sets us up for something that. And it's it's just like sitting with. Jesus in the Gospels, that that's the purity of heart and people seeing God. Well, the, it's not that people, mm-hmm. <laughs> the woman at the well doesn't like, ah, I'm pure of heart, and then I see. Mm-hmm. It's like there is a transparency that happens, and then mm-hmm. there is a. Um, it's really good. Zacchaeus Pur- up the tree has, isn't yeah. like. Pur- yeah. Purity has, it, it's just, it has so much baggage to it, right? It's like yeah. moralism. Kind of seems like this elitism. Totally. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, but same with the language of perfection, yeah. and we have to find ways to um, uh, rescue and hold out the vision so it, it still feels like humility, alcoholics. Right? It's, it's, the, it's that kind yes. of kenosis. That the, yes. The kenosis is an expression of purity if you can yeah. get to that level of self emptying. Purified um, of guile, I suppose, would be a way, which yeah. is transparency again. Yes. And yet, you know, we're, as, again, when I hear you speak, you're, you're talking about kind of limited by our own lifetime, right? Mm. But there's still, in, there's eternity yeah. for, this, for this, uh, this transfiguration to take place. Andrew, I'm still Anabaptist so, enough yes, to I know. <laughs> only really think about this stuff now. I'm like, eternity. It is a posthumous <laughs> reality. Um, but yeah, yeah. Resurrection of the body will be cool. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. How does that work? Oh, a mystery. I'm having enough time loving my enemies. The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.